Hello, heroes, and welcome to Session Zero, a podcast exploring role-playing through a psychological perspective. I'm Steve Discont. And I'm Porter Green. And today we'll be discussing representations of mental illness in gaming. Representations of mental illness in gaming is a long one, Steve. Yeah, that's fair. So we should probably start by talking about what mental illness is and isn't. Well, we can do that. But also, what do we mean by representing mental illness in gaming? So I think that covers anything from like, does your game have diagnoses listed in the book somewhere as like curses or flaws or character backstories that you can select off of a table Mm -hmm. to sort of metaphorically re-experiencing or interacting with people's personal journeys of mental illness in their fictional characters. So representation in this case might just be any time it's portrayed then? Yeah, for sure. All right. So I guess I'll bring it back to what you were just asking me earlier is how do we define mental illness? What are we referring to? So a mental illness, the sort of the common criteria, I think, for a mental illness is an experience of struggle, right? An experience of difficulty functioning in the world, whether that's because you have a biomechanical problem in your brain where your neurotransmitters are different than the average and you're neurodiverse in some way, whether you have a sensory input problem in your brain or difference, not necessarily problem in your brain, or whether you have a life circumstance that's caused you to feel really disillusioned with things or really hopeless or very scared, right? A lot of mental illness seems to be processes that we normally have that help us and protect us and keep us alive, but that have gone too far, Like, for example, most anxiety disorders are based on things that are designed to help us survive in danger, but they're applied to stuff that isn't really that dangerous. So why is it a concern then how mental illness gets represented in the gaming experience? Well, I think just like any media, portraying mental illness in a kind and accurate way is important, right? Because a lot of the tropes we have of villains and of monsters are mental illnesses in caricature. Everything from stuttering in in cartoons to werewolves as a a sort of metaphor for bipolar disorder. I I don't think I've heard the werewolf representing bipolar disorder analogy before. Oh, yeah. Well, in the historical texts from the Middle Ages, people talk about lycanthropy. And the way they describe it is people go through periods of rage or intensity that are probably describing a manic state versus periods of seclusion and sadness, which is Mm. probably describing a depressive state. So often what we think the sort of historical basis for lycanthropy is bipolar disorder, right? Or um, a state of mania. Wow. I never actually put those two together before. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've read a lot of books on in my younger years on like historical records of like werewolves and lycanthropy. uh, And that never came up. So that's really an interesting analogy. And a lot of, of tales about witchcraft and visions and stuff probably could be delusional disorders, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. people that have unusual perceptions or that are overly or hypersensitive in some way. So what we're concerned about then would be representation that becomes a problem or problematic representation of mental illness. For sure. It's all those times when, you know, you have a serial killer that has dissociative identity disorder or you have like the evil schizophrenic man who's... You know, hallucinations of God tell him to kill everyone. Like all those sort of like not so great things. Basically, if it was a CSI episode once, it's probably not a good or accurate depiction of mental illness. Oh, woof. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, right. (laughs) 
No, I, I'm, I'm both happy and upset that you just said that because that is far truer than it needs to be. Right? Yeah, there's so many like horrible depictions of mental illness and this idea of chronic mental illness is debilitating where people that suffer from it as being sort of childlike and separate from culture and unable to exist in the world in any kind of real meaningful way. And that creates more cultural stigma and makes people in the real world experiencing these things as part of their lives have a harder time navigating the world because people are scared or disgusted or unsure about who they are, what they're about, what their experiences are like. Yeah, I imagine then, especially with what's out there, uh, depending on what someone's own neurodiverse status might be, there's probably some experiences out there that are probably either really commonly represented or there's just a concern that when they see it out there, maybe they kind of hearkening back to our previous episode, they feel the stigma that comes from it by seeing their own lived experience represented poorly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't tell you the number of people that I've seen um, or worked with that have chronic mental illness that are in their 40s and 50s that look at me with shock when I ask them what their goals for their life are or what they want to experience in their life. Because it's been so long since anybody's even considered that they might have opinions about their own life course because they have this thing that's, quote unquote, wrong with them because their way of seeing the world is different. That means they can't or shouldn't be allowed to function in society or that's what they've been taught. That's so painful to hear. Yeah, it's a really common thing in chronic mental illness, especially if you're poor and you don't have access to the highest quality treatments. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because even when we think about these examples that you were saying earlier about like mental illness maybe being biomechanical or social or a consequence of others, you know, there's one type of mental illness that I think we often overlook that is most likely to come up in gaming, even though they might call it it. For sure. And I think that's trauma. Absolutely. I think that most... Most of the content of a lot of games is traumatic experiences, right? It's it's violence, it's loss, it's scary things, it's pain, especially like dramatic backstories or Ooh. or scene points in something like a I don't know, like I, I remember in World of Darkness back in the day when you first turned into a werewolf, there was often like a, tra- a trauma story around that. Mm-hmm. Like your first transformation, you would like kill the person nearest to you and then wake up covered in blood or. There would be like a rage event or something violent that happened to you that sort of spurred on that first change. Right. Yeah. It's interesting that we think of it that way, too, because that reference you just made of like the the dark or the, the very dramatic backstory, because I almost think of like how that has been played in role playing games to a comical turn. Mm-hmm. The stereotype of the I'm playing a dark and brooding character. My story is so depressing. You don't even want to know it. Both my parents are dead and all I'm. All I've had was the thieves' guilds to raise me. Don't Bruce? you want to know about shush? <laughs> don't you want to know about the, the thieves' guild and everything I've done? No, I I really don't. But that that's an example of like well, the trauma played without acknowledging how traumatic it could actually be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of trauma used as a device to be edgy or to make something feel hardcore without a lot of thought being put into what it's actually like to experience scary stuff. Right. So it almost sounds like trying to use trauma to, in a way, say, like, I have a resilient character that I'm trying to play, mm-hmm. but without really acknowledging the resilience mm-hmm. or the real unfortunate nature of, the, of what would be the traumatic experience, the the life-changing experience. For sure. Um, real quick to like go into the psychological part for a second. When we talk about trauma, trauma is what happens when you have something really bad happen to you or really scary, really intense, and your sort of sense of the world is 
fractured in that moment. And then that thing stays with you. It doesn't get reprocessed into your neural net correctly. So that's when you have thoughts and memories come back up, when you have horrible nightmares, when you're afraid to go to certain places because something happened. Um, an example of a trauma could be somebody who had a really bad car accident becomes afraid to drive. Somebody who was mugged and beaten up and is afraid to go into certain parts of the city. And resilience is the ability to move through a hard, terrifying experience and make meaning and grow from that experience. So somebody who had a terrible car accident, but then becomes a very safe and conscientious driver or starts teaching in a driving school. Somebody who got horribly mugged, but then conquers their fear and starts doing advocacy work for like safety, for example, could be two possible ways of being resilient. It doesn't have to be as concrete as that. It can also just be making meaning out of it and going on with your life without allowing that experience to limit you. Mm -hmm. And that's something you can both learn through therapy and time, uh, come across naturally, or build from your friends and support network. It's really interesting when we think about that, even, you know, with trauma, because I think that comes up in the workplace, but also representation comes up there too. Mm -hmm. Because often we might have an understanding about certain types of ways that people react to certain things in the workplace. People might be very highly anxious and so we might look at that as like, oh, that person's just type A, mm -hmm. um, when that might be someone who might be highly anxious about their performance. And when we see that, even when we look at like the stereotype of workaholic, when someone might role play that, there might be something that's being represented about anxiety or uh, even personality disorders there mm -hmm. that we might not be considering. Interestingly, things like perfectionism, workaholism, quote unquote, type A can all be manifestations of trauma because they're all ways of trying to control an environment that you have learned is somehow uncontrollable. You know, it's it's not safe for you to not be in charge, mm -hmm. right? So that's, that can be the core root. Also, there are a lot of work situations that can be traumatic, like, for example, if you've experienced very bad boss relationships in the past, it can be very hard to relate to a new supervisor in a way that feels safe. Or if you've been put on an unfair plan at some point in the past for like remedial behavior or something, you might have a really hard time if you're if you're made a mistake, sure. owning up to that mistake. Well, abusive supervision, for example, is a is a big area of study within my field. For sure. And abusive supervision can lead to you know, increased anxiety can lead to trauma, it can lead to depression. It can lead to a lot of different things because your feelings of stress are going to increase, your feelings of burnout. Mm -hmm. You're going to be depleted of your own mental energies, and that's going to lead to lots of different things. That could lead to you wanting to leave a company. You know, we see one of the largest reasons why people leave a company is not because they didn't enjoy their job. It's because they didn't like their supervisors. For sure. Team relationships are huge in the workplace, and they're often overlooked in terms of mental health of employees. And I think this is super relevant to gaming and to how we game and why we game too. Because if you think about statistically, 80% of adults in the Western world, specifically in America, have experienced a diagnosable mental illness at some point in their adult life. Out of those 80%, only about 20% actually get psychological help by seeing a therapist or going to a psychiatrist. So it's a really common experience to have these symptoms show up for some reason over some part of your life course. Certainly. And, you know, going back to our episode about stigma, mental health itself is a stigmatized thing. For sure. We expect people to often be neurotypical. And we, we often expect them to be psychologically normal. And I say normal with very, very large air quotes here. For sure. Uh, the working world, the school world are rigorously designed for able-bodied neurotypical people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the funny thing is, strangely enough, people in school and people at work are great at role-playing being normal because yeah. we often have to 
or we often learn to hide or to suppress the the challenges that we're having so that we can seem or appear average mm-hmm. or going with the flow. So we are part of the in-group, so to speak. Absolutely. We were talking before we started recording today about how I have a really strong personal fusion to being fine. So like no matter what's going on in my life, I'm I that's the first thing I come back to. I'm fine. I'm okay. I can keep going. I can keep moving. Mm-hmm. Because that is sort of my way of protecting myself when my own mental illness shows up. So it kind of speaks to how we represent mental health and mental illness in the workplace and ourselves. But then how, what, do we, what about when it comes to in role playing? Mm-hmm. You know, I, there's got to be, I mean, we've, I think you and I, we've kind of went through a couple of these. And I want us to kind of touch on some examples of really problematic representations of mental health and mental illness we've seen in games in the past. Well, there's the classic example in Vampire the Masquerade, the Malkavians. Now, for those of our listeners who might not know, because some people have come into gaming just through the indie game scene, sure. or they might have only played D&D, what are Malkavians? Malkavians are a group of vampires who are defined by being insane. That's that's their, their sort of defining character trait. They're wacky. They're silly. They're over-the-top And they do chaotic, unpredictable behaviors that are often violent. And there's a lot of sort of mental illness words used to describe them. Mm -hmm. Well, and and specifically, and we're referencing old World of Darkness. We're looking at old White Wolf games, uh, you know, originally developed. Some of these games were, Vampire the Masquerade was developed, I want to say, in 1989 originally. Mm, Long time ago. So our our understanding and our concepts of these type of things were completely different. Mm -hmm. Malkavians, as a vampire clan, had derangement as one of their special features. And they had a power called dementation, where they could make other people go crazy, where they take their, their craziness, quote unquote, channel it, and then force it on others. And words like derangement are basically kind of like, you know, outdated medical terms mm-hmm. for being mentally ill. And they, they kind of, they don't have the same power that like a slur might have, but they definitely are not words that you want to use when talking about people that are struggling with mental illness. Absolutely. Another example is that a lot of mental illnesses are commonly considered flaws that you can buy to get extra points when you're building a character. Like, for example, in Savage Worlds, one of the hindrances is called delusional. So you can be level one through five delusional, and the more delusional you are, the more points you get back to spend on special edges in the game. Mm. So for the min-max crowd out there, if they really want to take a, I guess, problem, if they want to take a mental illness for their character, they go, oh, but if I do this, I can stat just right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Addiction is also often handled that way, where it can, you can take an addiction in something in exchange for having extra points or money or something. And I remember, right, for Savage Worlds, there were like two different levels of addiction, and mm-hmm. they were also separate from, for example, say, uh, delusional. Right. And that's really interesting because, you know, you did you did see that a lot where mental illness would be represented as a flaw, mm-hmm. that it was always something that was negative. It never was a positive sure. aspect. And even if the game, because one of the things I would I would say is that Savage Worlds did not do a bad job of describing mental illnesses or even physical ability differences in ways that were unproblematic. Like their descriptions were pretty sound. But the idea that being different is inherently a flaw, like being in some way neurodiverse, being in some way not physically able is a flaw, is mm-hmm. the thing that I have the problem with. I'm, I'm with you there because to say that not being typical, not being neurotypical or not being traditionally able-bodied 
and saying that being that way is, in a sense, the wrong way mm-hmm. makes gaming inaccessible mm-hmm. uh, and unwelcoming to those who would be neurodiverse or uh, non-able-bodied. Because the last thing you want is to walk into a game situation and see yourself as a flaw, right? Mm-hmm. We have this wonderful book that's all about making your backstory. And it was written by some folks that have some very fundamentalist beliefs. So the original printing of it, all gay, queer, and trans things were listed as dark side traits. And you would get special dark side points that you'd have to add to your character backstory if you rolled any of them. And it was advised that you not let anyone under the age of majority play with those traits. Right. Right? So like, Great. Yeah, no, terrible. <laughs> right? So those are the kind of things that showed up in gaming in our sort of in the past before people thought us critically about this stuff. Now, what about positive representations of mental illness or mental health in gaming? It can't all be bad, right? Absolutely. Um, one of the ones that I think always think of when I think of positive examples is Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu, which at this point is an older game. But they did extensive research into mental illness and they write at a college level. So they have like diagnostic criteria, suggestions for how you might play behaviorally and just a really broad but still consumable way of describing all these different mental illnesses and reactions to trauma. And when you're playing something like Call of Cthulhu, where the the act of being an adventurer in the world is probably going to cause you to suffer mental damage because you're dealing with an unknowable. Mm-hmm. That's a huge part of being in that game world. Now, what do you think of the the idea that one can lose mental health in a game? Because I know, like, Call of Cthulhu, for example, is the classic example of encountering something otherworldly or completely out of one's cognitive understanding and going, all right, roll this 1D100, die. Cool, you've lost that much sanity. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's very real because... Just like colloquially from my own experiences of having had bad stuff happen to me in my life. I mean, I feel like everybody's had a moment where you've come across something disturbing. Whether it's, for example, when I was a kid, I was I rode horses a lot. And I was out trail riding one day and I came around a bend and my horse shied and I smelled this horrible smell. And I looked down and there was a baby fawn that something had killed and eaten half of. And it was rotting there. So I saw all of that, like that gore and the smell and all of that. And I felt unsettled and sick and scared and sad for the rest of the day. And I think Sam Loss is trying to model that. And I think that's actually a pretty good, like mechanics like that can be a really good way of faithfully modeling the experience of seeing something upsetting or traumatic. So I think another system I think that does that really well Mm -hmm. um, is actually the integrity system from Chronicles of Darkness. Oh, that's a really cool one. Yeah, so we're kind of coming back to what was formerly White Wolf, but is now Onyx Path Productions. What a journey. Right. I mean, significant changes, drastic changes from where the rules were, gosh, over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in their newest version of their general urban horror, urban fantasy rule system, uh, they have this thing that they're calling integrity, which really kind of represents one's ability to handle the stressors of life mm-hmm. and where their general mental health is. And when an individual is faced up against things that might be a violation of their codes of behavior or uh, their own experiences at trauma or their own experiences of the world, they might experience a breaking point, which means that is a point where they as an individual can't rationalize or explain away or to process away uh, the events that have occurred to them, whether it's encountering the supernatural, the horrors of the world around them, 
or their own actions, or it could be the actions of someone else. Mm-hmm. And at those times, you make a, a, a you make a dice roll based on certain mechanics, and if you fail, your character loses some integrity because essentially there is a part of them that has been changed by experiencing essentially what is trauma. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it takes extensive work. I mean, it costs some experience points, but the point is that you have to make some extensive role-playing or guidance to your story to try and regain some of that back, Mm -hmm. just as one would with therapy. For sure. I think that's a really cool way of mechanically showing that and allowing people to show trauma in their character development without actually having to experience traumatic things in the real world. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting, too, with the integrity system that there is a story aspect of it, too, where two different characters might be at different places of their own development or their own mental balance in a sense Mm -hmm. where someone might have when you starting your character someone could be grizzled they may have been for example a firefighter who's seen a lot of really unfortunate things another person is playing a college professor who's lived a fairly privileged life and the things that would be breaking points for each of these two characters would be discussed by the the players and the the team or the, the players and the storyteller because the firefighter might have seen a lot more. So it might take a lot more to have them experience a breaking point. Whereas the professor, maybe seeing someone get stabbed would be enough to completely rock their world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's really important to have this as part of gaming available to people because it's a mirror, right? Gaming is a chance to experience things that we experience in, the, in our own lives. And to be able to see ourselves in the characters that we build is really important. And sometimes that means being able to see our neurodiversity or our diagnosis or our tics or our way of speaking in the character that we build. So what do you think then maybe of games that do mechanically represent one's mental well-being? Uh, So games like Eclipse Phase that have what's considered the lucidity, your lucidity score which is your essentially like a mental health track or um, fake core where you might have a the, the mental stress track that you can take damage on as well as your physical, your actual physical health track. What do you think of those? Well, I think that's very real and important because if you think about it, an adventuring party or a group of, you know, crazy fools out to save the world are going through hard and traumatic stuff. And I think, too, you don't always want to detail out that experience for people. You don't always want to be quite that real at the table to sit down and describe in graphic detail the horrible things that you saw. Sometimes you do, or you want to get a piece of it, but you having these mechanics allows you to have a little bit of distance from the experience of trauma in the real world, but it still lets it be part of the character story and lets you relate to the character as having experienced something very hard. I think you make an interesting point there, though, about the adventuring party, mm-hmm. because there needs to be maybe an acknowledgement from the players at either a session zero or a discussion about how much do we want to really acknowledge maybe say the mental health consequences, some things that happen here. Because mm-hmm. I like to think that if you really take a psychological look at the classic D&D fantasy party, the group that goes in, kills a lot of monsters, maybe kills some sen- a lot of sentient beings, takes things from them, Gold items, what have you, parts, parts of scales from dragons that are absolutely sentient, and then sells them, you have 
a group of people who probably have homicidal ideation. Antisocial personality disorder. And a whole other variety of issues Mm -hmm. that are really problematic to be a group that is just let to roam the country, killing people wherever they go. Yeah. And one thing that's very true about making a character in a backstory is that the whole point of these stories is often that these are people that are exceptional in some way because they're not just like a farmer who's happy in their fields, you know, raising their pigs and their grain and doing their thing. Cause if that was true of them, they would not be on this incredible journey. There's usually some reason. And often that reason is mental illness related. You know, there was a loss, there was a war, there was a disease, there was a visit from a God. There was an animal speaking in your head. All of these things could be symptoms of mental illness in the right context. Well, and there are games out there where maybe if you want to play the farmer, like there are games that are meant for that. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's kind of a mouthful is uh, Chubbo's Marvelous Wish Granting Engine. It's a mouthful. And these are games where you're meant to focus on telling slice of life stories mm-hmm. uh, in kind of a fantastical world. So uh, think something like a world inspired by... Uh, Hayao Miyazaki and the Ghibli worlds mm-hmm. the, the, in the settings of the of Ghibli studios. Telling slice of life stories in that, being the farmer might not be so bad. For sure. Of course, I would point out that there is not a single Ghibli story where the people involved are not in a traumatic or potentially traumatic situation. <laughs> Even I mean, the love stories. I mean, true. So in that case, what do you think are some action items, in a sense, that we can take away when it comes to mental health and mental illness and their representations into the gaming experience itself, what can we learn from this and what can we do when we're role-playing or maybe for running a game? Well, I think that's a, a, definitely a session zero conversation. You know, how do we want to handle this? Is this something that's important to you? Thinking about what systems you're going to use and what ways you're going to talk about mental illness. Is it going to be a flaw? Is it going to be something that is considered to be a curse? Or is it going to be just a part of life? You know, how are we going to handle resiliency? How are we going to talk about anything that may be hard? And I think in that session zero, it might be important, too, to see if other people are comfortable with mental illness being portrayed in that way. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that's very important is everyone else's psychological safety at the table. For sure. Or in the LARP setting. And if you are uncomfortable with someone else portraying, say, suicidal ideation or severe depression, it's important for that to be known so the other person either doesn't do it or for you to have a genuine conversation about what would be okay to explore. Especially for things that have a lot of loading, like uh, sexual assault trauma, physical violence, um, the thing you just said that my brain forgot. Ideation? Yeah, suicidal ideations. Well, I think especially then if you are playing in a convention game, or you were playing in a one shot where you're providing characters or for a, a for example, certain freeform LARPs that are intended to explore like these various psychological concepts, maybe having content warnings for the game might be really useful. So a player can choose to opt in or opt out depending on what they're handed or if they find out that the game would be addressing certain concepts. Absolutely. Also, the place to premiere your incredibly close to life character with multiple complex traumas and mental illnesses may not be in a one-shot convention game. That may not be the place where that level of intensity is a good fit. I agree. I think one last point would be that if you are going to portray mental illness in a game, I think it's very important that 
one, really genuinely think about why you're intending to do this. Mm-hmm. Is it because you were wanting to explore that concept? Or is it meant to be play for gags? If it's play for gags, maybe don't. Maybe don't. Yeah. But also, if you were planning on playing a character with mental illness or portraying one, take some time to read about people's stories, read about people's experiences with that mental illness, because sometimes an accurate portrayal of mental illness in role-playing can be a much more nuanced and, I think, rewarding performance. Absolutely. Than if it is played to the extremes. Yeah. Media portrayal of mental illness is often very one-dimensional. You know, it's, it's serving a purpose. But actual experiences of mental illness are deep and broad and varied and can be sources of strength for the people who experience them. And that can be a really useful perspective taking for somebody who doesn't have experience mental illness themselves. So, you know, explore with it, play with it, try it, but do it with respect. Do it with a little bit of research and a little bit of connection with people's actual lived experiences. I think that's a really good closing point mm-hmm. because what it comes down to is really making sure you have a real understanding about mental health and mental illness. And especially if you're seeing it in being portrayed in role playing and how it's represented, we really should be mindful about how it's being done and what maybe the message was. For sure. And I think on that note, I think we've kind of come to the end of this session. Mm-hmm. So in that case, see you next session. If you've been enjoying Session Zero and other podcasts on our network, and you value independent creators being able to support themselves and continue to create content for you, consider supporting our network on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Your contributions to the One Shot Network helps us to pay for the studio that we record in, the content that we use to represent our work, the hosting of the podcast on the magic internet, and all the spicy water we consume. Becoming a contributor to the One Shot Network Patreon grants you access to bonus content in the network's secret archive, such as some of our personal gaming stories and possibly some of your favorite network characters on our pretend therapy couch. There are also other perks like the Gift and Book Club, the T-Shirt Club, and many more. Please consider contributing today. Looking for another podcast to listen to? Check out Character Creation Cast. Character Creation Cast is a discussion podcast where Amelia Antrim and Ryan Bolter create characters in multiple RPGs with prominent guests from the game's community. Each month, Character Creation Cast examines the character generation process in depth for a different game with new guests in each series. They always take the time to reflect on the game, its design, and what guests have to say about it. Think of it as sitting in on a great Session Zero every week. Heroes, we would love to hear from you and hear your ideas about our show. You can find us on Twitter at Session Zero Pod, or you can email us at Session Zero at OneShotPodcast.com. The song you hear right now is Hikari by I Love Brandon off his album Earth and Sky. If you would like to hear more of his work, visit EYELoveBrandon.com or find him on Spotify, SoundCloud, Twitter, or wherever else you like to find your chill beats to listen to podcasts to. Remember, heroes, Session Zero is for sharing information, not for therapy. If you feel like you need support, check out Psychology Today's Find a Therapist database. If you're experiencing a crisis, head into the emergency room or text CONNECT to 741741 from anywhere in the United States. Be safe out there, and we'll see you in the next session.